This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you this morning about something that's been on my heart for a little while. And um, I was waiting for the time to be right to talk about it and address it. Um, Joe, can you pull these levels back a little bit up here? Um, And I think the time is now. And so I want to get into that and talk about it this morning. You know, in John chapter 6 and verses 60 to 70, um, Jesus is going along and he's talking to the people who follow him and he's talking to his disciples and he's having a discussion with them. And he starts talking to them about, if you want to follow me, you have to come to a place where you prepare to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he starts having a discussion. And they didn't really understand what was going on. And essentially, Jesus was bringing them to a place where spiritually he wanted them to understand what Jesus had available and what he was going to offer them. But essentially, Jesus was bringing those people to a place where he wanted them to make a decision about what it is that you want to define your future. And in that space, you're going to have to make a decision. There comes a time in our Christian lives where we have to decide and then make a decision whether this is consequential and significant to us. And if it is, to what degree are we prepared to allow it to define us? There comes a time in our life, like with Jesus, where he says, your future is either going to be defined by what I've laid out and how I intend it to be, or if you want to go your own way, it's up to you. And it says at that point, a whole bunch of the people who had followed him for a long time and people who were disciples of his left him and never returned. There comes a time in our Christianity where things are consequential and we have to make a decision about what it is that we want to do with consequential stuff. And I think that time has arrived for us right now. I want to speak to you this morning about something I've titled The Remaking of America. The remaking of America. My responsibility as a pastor is to find out what I believe God wants to say to us and to take truth and to present truth to us. That's my job. My job is to make you uncomfortable. (laughs) If you're comfortable, I'm not doing a good job. The reason it's my job to make you uncomfortable is because any place where you're living that's comfortable is you're living in what you know and everything that defines your current reality. But God is not happy to leave you where you are. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he looks to use that plan and purpose. And for us to walk into plan and purpose, I have to be expansive. Anytime I move into something new, it's always something that makes me uncomfortable. My job is to make you uncomfortable. Because of the uncomfortable feel, don't get upset with me. Okay? My suggestion is this. Take it to the Holy Spirit. Can we agree with that? I'm going to say some stuff, and the reason that I'm laying this out at the very beginning is because I can't afford to be too diplomatic right now, and I don't think that we're at a place where we can just soften everything all the time. It comes a place where we have to be quite forthright about what's happening and quite pointed in some of the comments that we have to make. My intention is not to criticize. My intention is not to stand in the front and as a church throw stones at the world and what's happening out there. My intention is to sit and say God has got a solution. And God is presenting a solution to us. And as the body of Christ, the opportunity is presented to us is to take that solution and present it to the world. There's no point going out beating everybody over the head with your big Bible and not giving them a solution. We're not stone throwers. We're people who are injecting solutions into our world. That having been said, I am going to touch on some, some stuff that might be a little bit uncomfortable for people. It's okay for us to disagree. I can promise you, you and I don't agree on everything. I can promise you. Somewhere along the lines, we're going to find something we don't agree on. It's immature to sit and say, well, because we don't agree, well, I'm out of here. But that's your choice. A mature disposition says, I will take this and I'll take what you've given me and I'll go and spend some time with the Holy Spirit. And I'll see what the Holy Spirit says to me. And if we can agree on that, we're in a good place. Okay, then we're in a fabulous place. Well, you said it, you extended the invitation. 
John chapter 3, verse 17. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's a very important scripture, and it's a fundamental scripture that we based so much of what Jesus has provided for us on. It becomes really important for us. The thing about it is, in large part, I don't know that we've really understood the full comprehensive package that comes with that scripture. What it's saying is, God so loved the world that he gave his son to save the world. Our interpretation of that is, God has given us Jesus so that we can be born again. And that's right. Okay? Hold on, this isn't the hard part yet. You can stick with me here. Okay. I'll tell you when we, you'll know when we're getting into the, into the rough a little bit, okay? This is the easy bit. And that's right. And that's absolutely, it's absolutely appropriate. The, what I'm suggesting to you today and what I want to present to you today is that the part of the challenge that we have with the body of Christ is that we focus so much on the fact that Jesus came to save us that we haven't focused on the purpose that he saved us, which was to save the world as well. So what's happened is we've focused on our identity, but in large part, big chunks of the church don't know what their purpose is. And so we're floating around trying to find purpose. In the meanwhile, America's going to hell in a handbasket. And we're wandering around sitting saying, well, what are we supposed to be doing? What I'm presenting to you today and what I want to speak about is the fact that God not only has a purpose and a plan for your life because you were created in his image, but God has an intention that everything that was lost as a result of the fall experience restoration. That includes us and it includes creation. He created the earth and the world as the playground for man. Reign and rule. Reign and rule. So I want to talk a little bit about reigning and ruling because in some ways we all agree with that and everybody loves to reign and rule. But we want to know how do we actually, what is the expression of that and what is the interpretation of that? How does it ex- extend and, and express itself in everyday life? Because I believe that has a, it has a very practical expression, particularly in the world in which we find ourselves right now. It becomes important for us as born again believers to understand our purpose in life. If I don't know my purpose, then I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. So we're doing a whole bunch of stuff, but it may not necessarily be purpose-focused stuff. We need to understand what our purpose is. We need to get, grab a hold of what our purpose is. Because God has got a purpose for your life. But the thing about it is God doesn't view you in isolation. God views you as a member of the body. You are part of the body. And as part of the body, what God sees is the extension of his kingdom into the world. I want to speak a little bit, and I'll get into it a little bit later, as to why the kingdom is so important. Because when we speak about things like the world system, the world system was given to man to manage. God gave Adam the world system. The world system is, are those qualities that animate the world. It's those things which is the spirit of the world. It's the knowledge of the world. He gave those things to Adam. The world, the earth belongs to God. So what ended up happening was when Adam sinned, he not only, he couldn't give away the earth that belonged to God, but the authority that God had given him to run the world system, he handed over to Satan. And so what ended up happening is we lost the world system. We lost the spirit of the world. We lost the thinking of the world. And it became a system which was the corrupt of the world. The reason that Jesus introduced the kingdom is because I've not only come that you can be reconciled back to the Father. I've not only come so that you can realize your identity and who you are in Christ. But I've come to reconcile and introduce the world back to its original design. I've come to introduce the kingdom, not to try and fix something that Satan's been a part of and destroyed. I'm introducing the kingdom because in the kingdom, the world once again gets to be restored to God's original design. We've got to find what our purpose is. We've got to understand our purpose as a born again believer. We're fundamentally a part of the body. And when we understand that we're part of the body, it means that there's certain things we're going to have to do, certain things that we have to say. We have guides for all kinds of things. 
If you want to find out about marriage, you can go and get a guide that will tell you all about marriage. If you want to find out about if you're having kids, you go and get a guide that will tell you about babies' names. It will tell you how to raise your kids. It will tell you how kids are born. It'll tell you. It gives you everything you want, but we don't have a guide that tells us about our God-given purpose. The challenge that we've had as a church, and I'm trying to really explore the landscape right now so that we understand where we are and then we can talk about where we're going. But the challenge that we have is we have a landscape where what we do is we invite people to come into church because church is such a wonderful space and church is a place where we praise and church is a place where we worship and church is a place where we're invited to have community and church is a place where we hear a great teaching and we're inspired by a teaching and we want to do different things and then we go out and we live our lives. And what we're looking for is we're looking for the world to come into this space instead of recognizing the fact that we have a responsibility to take who we are and to take kingdom life outside there. Part of the problem with the church is that we spent a lot of time teaching people about who they are in Christ. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's really important teaching. We need to have it. We need to understand what God wants for me, how sin has deprived me of certain aspects about who I am and understanding the nature of how God's created me to be, stepping into the fullness of my identity, stepping into the promises of what he has for me, realizing what it is to live a life of abundance, of provision, of health, of everything that God has for me. And those are wonderful things. And we need to continue to do that. The problem with it is we've been doing all of this and we spend very little time talking about purpose. So the waiting is like this. And we have an indulged body that's full, that's looking forward to a comfortable, happy, healthy life. In the meanwhile, society and our culture is in a serious state of disrepair. We need to understand That God has called us with purpose. You see, the challenge with it is, years ago, there used to be a lot more distinction between the church and the world. It wasn't always right. And much of it was legalistic. We don't go to bars, and we don't dance, and we don't drink, and we don't swear. The thing about it was, there was distinction. There was something that was distinctive between the world and the church. And at least to some degree that there was influence. Somehow we acted as a foil where we sat and said, there is something else and there is a moral code that comes into play. And for whatever reason, it rubbed off and we had influence because people were aware of it. But it's become compromised over time. It's become diluted. And as it's become diluted, we've begun to look like the world and we sound like the world. And now we go to places and you really can't tell a Christian from a worldly person. And what's ended up happening is our, as our distinctiveness has been compromised, so our influence has been reduced. And we've ended up at a place where there are significant decisions, patterns in our society and in our culture that are being formed and there's no representation from the church. We were called to be the salt and to be the light. You know when it talks about the salt and the light, salt was something that they used. And basically what it speaks about, I can't get into this, salt salt speaks about knowledge. In traditional Jewish culture, salt speaks about knowledge. And so what it's talking about is when you're the salt of the, world, of the world, what it's saying is you should be informed by the kingdom. You should have the king on the inside of you. You should be living from revelation and supernatural knowledge and understanding. So when you move into places, what you deliver and what you put into that space is wisdom. It's knowing how to take spiritual truth and apply it in a natural setting. And it, the opposite to wisdom is foolishness. When you have no salt, you're good for nothing. You're foolish. That's what it means. To be the light of the world talks about revelation. It talks about enlightenment. It talks about the presence of God. 
And so when it says that you are to be the light of the world, what it's saying is every place that you should be going, you should be informing it with the presence of God. Every place that you should be going, you should be informing it as a result of revelation and enlightenment. This doesn't have to be the way that it used to be. We need to change it. This needs to look like this. It needs to look a little bit different. What happens if we took enlightenment, if we took revelation, if we took his presence into the education system? All of a sudden we begin to recognize that your identity and your value isn't linked to your ability to do great at arithmetic. You are great and you are valued and you are special because he created you. Because he made you the way that you are and you gifted the way that you are. And your value is peculiar to you. Oh, and by the way, here's some geography to supplement it. Oh, and by the way, here's some science and some biology that will help you in your walk through life. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What it's saying is this. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. What it's saying is this. The world is out there, but the world system is corrupt. And because it's been corrupted, it has the opportunity to influence your thinking and your feeling and the way that it is, if you indulge it. The problem with it is, the Christian has read it as, let's stay away from the world. And so what's happened is, in our, pass, in, in our passive attempt to avoid sin, we've compromised a positive influence in trying to get away from the world that may affect us that may influence us that may compromise who I am that may leave me at a place where it's like I am not of God what we've done is we've created separation God never said separate what he said don't be influenced by it the problem with it is we've done it at the expense of our influence And then we wonder why the world looks like it does. Because what's ended up happening is, over time, our Christian subculture has become a place where we live on our little island. And it's going further and further away from shore. God is doing some changes. God is changing some things. You see, the church of tomorrow is not going to be the church of yesterday. And what the church of tomorrow looks like, you were born for. You were born for such a time as this. You need to understand that you have a place in that. Get excited about that. And you need to find out from him how it is that he wants you have influence in that space. The problem with so much of the church right now is that we're nice. When I was at school, about 108 years ago, when I was at school and I was taking English, they've they have new names for everything nowadays. I took English class. When I took English class, my, I can remember this so vividly. My instructor said to me, actually to the class, never use the word nice. Because it's so nondescript. It sits on the fence. And it doesn't commit either way. If you want to use an adjective or an adverb, you use something that's got some life in it, something that gives some color to it, something that actually gives some definition to those things. Never use the word nice because it's a fence sitter and it's gray. Lorna, that's for you. (laughs) Jesus talks about it. Jesus refers to it as lukewarm. What he's saying is, you want to be lukewarm? I'll spit you out of my mouth. He wants to make some changes. 
The problem with it is we are so nice. We want to be so cautious. We don't want to do anything and step out of line because we might do something wrong. And so we end up doing nothing at all. We're so polite. We're so pleasant. We're so cheerful. But we're impotent. We're impotent. It's an unfortunate reality that any time the world finds us interesting, it's usually not because of our faith, but despite our faith. It's changing. It's changing. For many people, including ourselves, all too often, Christianity put us to sleep. It's dull. It's boring. You don't believe me? Go and have a look at the younger generations. Why do you think traditional churches are struggling to keep members? Because it's dull. I'm not allowed to whisper. (laughs) They tell me they can't hear me online. I need subtexts. We're boring. We lack relevance. We lack relevance. If we used to, if we to use the model of Jesus, I want you to know something. Jesus may have been a lot of things. In fact, Jesus was a lot of things. But one thing Jesus never was was boring. Not only was he not boring, he was also not. Jesus was never nice. You know what the original meaning of nice is? Silly or stupid. Jesus was Jesus was never nice. Jesus was never nice. The reason that they crucified Jesus was not because he was nice, not because he was happy-go-lucky, not because he was cheerful. Not because he was cautious. The reason that they went and they crucified Jesus was because he was dynamic. And he was a danger. Jesus was a revolutionary. He changed everything. He was born into a world that was defied by brokenness and by sin. And he walked into that world and he said, you don't have to be who you are. I'm going to introduce you to an opportunity to step into the fullness of who you are. Not only did he create opportunities for you to become something that God originally designed for you to be, but he said something else. The number one message that Jesus came with was all about kingdom. What was he saying? He was saying the world system and what it looks like right at the moment is not what the world system is going to look like tomorrow. I'm bringing with me kingdom. And kingdom is going to shift and change where this is. Kingdom is designed to introduce us to a new way of living. Kingdom is designed to introduce us to God's original plan for humanity. The reason we have kingdom is because when you find your space in kingdom, you'll be different. The reason we have kingdom is because when we take kingdom and we introduce it to the world, all of a sudden we are looking for the world to be different. Jesus was tender. He had compassion. He was honest. And he was humble. But he was truthful. In our attempts to be nice, we are more interested in people's feelings than truth. It's not because Jesus ever intended to hurt anyone. It's not because he ever didn't have compassion and want fullness for every person. But he lived from a place where he sat and he knew the wages of sin are death. 
unless I present you with something which will introduce you to fullness of life and introduce you to life of a superior nature. The road that you're going isn't where it's going to lead where you think. And yes, it may indulge you. And yes, it may feel good. And yes, it may excite your senses and all the rest of it. But the ultimate destination of that is death. He never veered off truth. Genesis chapter 1. Thank you, Rafa. Oh, don't run off with it yet. Thank you. Thank you. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There are a few things that are going to come out of this. The first thing is this. We were created in God's image. If you want to know your purpose... You're going to find it in your design. You want to know what a hammer's for? Have a look at the design. You want to know what a car's for? Have a look at the design. You want to know what you're for? Have a look at the design. Male and female, He created them. Have a look at your design. Because your purpose is linked to your design. A big part of the problem nowadays is that we want to get away from God's original design because we want to move to a more informed way of living. A big part, and I would propose to you, probably the most significant purpose of your life is linked to your gender. What I mean by that is this. Male and female translates ultimately into husband and wife. Probably the closest, in fact, the closest bond you will have on earth outside of your relationship with God. Husband and wife. For purpose. Purpose. Family. Father, mother. Purpose. There is purpose to who you are as a a husband. There is purpose to who you are as a wife. And here's the shocking truth. They're not the same. And it's okay. We have this idea that unless, and what's being proposed to us is the idea, that unless they say the same, well, are we being exclusive? No. It's okay. We can celebrate our differences. God never, I've used this before, God never created a smoothie. He created a fruit salad. What makes a fruit salad exciting is the fact that it has strawberries in it and the fact that it has blueberries in it and the fact that it has raspberries in it and the fact that it has different colors and different textures and different tastes and different looks. Why? Because God is a God of creativity. He's not a God of uniformity. You're going to discover what it is to be a husband. You're going to discover what it is to be a wife. And in that space, you're going to form something new, a union between the two of you. But those complementary skill sets are linked to your gender. When you step into what it is to be a parent, I can tell you now, you're going to realize what it is to be a mother and to be a father. Amen. The mother's there because she loves the kids and she nurtures the kids and she takes care of the kids. And she's always there to give them a hug and to make sure that they feel as though they're part of the family and so that they know that they loved and so that they know that they are the most important things so that they know that they are the apple of the eye and the most important part of the parent's heart. That's her job. And it comes naturally. Dad is there to love the kids 
to make them feel a part of everything, but for him to affirm their identity. I'm here to call out of you what I see God has put on the inside of you. I'm here to affirm you in God's called you to be. I want you to step into the fullness of who he's called you to be. That's our job. God created it that way with purpose. God created us in his image. And then he said, I want you to rule and reign. The world system that he gave to man is basically talking about those qualities that animate the world. That's what the world system is, the qualities that animate the world. So in other words, it is the spirit of the world. It's the knowledge of the world. And ultimately, all of that was compromised because of the fall. And it became the corruption of the world. That is what's having influence right at the moment. We gave away the authority. And so the world system is gone. Belongs to the devil. It's in the Bible. (laughs) You're looking at me like... (laughs) The earth belongs to God and the fullness thereof. But the world system was given to the devil. That's the problem. What ends up happening is that God is sitting saying, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to make some changes. Hold on, I've got to jump forward a little bit here. You see, when God created, on the first five days, it says, and God said, and there was. What it's telling us is what God did. But he changes it on the sixth day. It says, God not only created, tells us what he did, but he tells us why he did it, to rule and reign. What it's saying to us is this, we were created in in his image, but we have purpose. Our purpose is linked to our ability to influence the world system. Our, Our influence is originally to be people who understood who God was and lived in relationship with him and took it and created a space that conformed to who he was. He gave it to us as our domain. That's what we were to live in. And in that space, his intention was that you flourish. Be innovative. Be creative. Make things. Work. Yes, God wanted you to work. What did you think? Adam and Eve just kind of sat on the chaise long all day waiting for God to come around in the evening. We view work as a negative thing because we're stuck in something that we hate. For God, it was never the case. For God, what he said was, I've given you gifts. I've given you talents. I've given you abilities. I want you to take the fullness of what I've put on the inside of you. Look at this. I've created a place for you to come and for you to exercise the fullness of who you are. The problem with it is the paradise that he's created for us has been compromised because we have a corrupt world system. And so it has to change. We're moving to a place of change. The problem with it is the world, the the church didn't care about the world for very long. See, the problem with it is, is that we got this messaging that don't worry about it. You just hold on to things. Because you know what? Jesus is coming to save you from a big bad world. So what ended up happening is we didn't care about the world anymore because you know what? We're running away to heaven. So we're going to leave you with this mess because we're out of here. We abdicated our responsibilities to reign and rule. Why? Because I'm out of here. Heaven's calling. I'm waiting for that last trumpet. I got my cases packed. I'm looking for it. The problem with it is if you read the last book of the Bible, It says your destiny is earthly, not heavenly. It is going to be a new earth. It is going to be a redeemed earth. It is going to be an earth that is transformed. It is going to be an earth that is in union with heaven. But it's going to be an earth nonetheless. He 
people want to get out of the place because we're sitting having a look at it and saying it's torturous and things are so bad and things are getting worse and I don't like the pressure and I don't like what the school system looks like and I hate what they're doing in government and all of these things are so terrible and I want to run away to a place where I'm going to experience the love of God and the joy of who he is and just peace. problem is this love joy and peace are not part of what heaven is love joy and peace is what's given to us through the holy spirit it's the fruit of the spirit yes ultimately you'll experience that in heaven but it's not because heaven's the place for it he's put it on the inside of you why because you were born with purpose take it and introduce it to your world do something with what we have Sin separated us from God's original plan. But the whole purpose of redemption is to sit and say, God can take you back to your original design. God's going to take you back to who he called you to be. God is going to take you back so that you can realize the fullness of who he intended you to be. Not only that, but redemption is also for his creation. You don't believe me, so I'll prove it to you. If you turn to um, Genesis Uh, Sorry, not Genesis. Romans 8. If I can find it. Romans 8. Here it is. Romans 8, 19 to 23 out of the Passion. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe. Intense anticipation. Yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. He's talking about you. He's talking about you. He's saying, the earth is waiting to see you realize the fullness of who you are. For you to step into the fullness of the Christ that's on the inside of you, that redefines who you are. For against it, uh, for against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now... With eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. We have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit, which is the indwelling presence of God. Um, also inwardly grown as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. The whole point of redemption is not just about you. The point of redemption is for us acting out and redeeming God's creation as well. God's intention is that we take back our rightful place. God's intention is that you have influence. God's intention is that you have a look at the world around about you and you sit and say, I'm going to do something about this because I'm called to because I have purpose as a kingdom citizen. So how do we do this practically? I want to show you a video um, of a proposal that's come out. Let Let me show you this first, and then we can talk about it. Parents in Ohio recently lost custody of their 17 year old daughter because they declined to put her on testosterone supplements. And a Catholic hospital in Washington settled out of court when the ACLU sued them for declining to perform a double mastectomy on a gender dysphoric 16-year-old girl. New medical guidelines are being pushed by activists across the country. They include encouraging social transitions in children as young as four years old, providing puberty-blocking drugs to children as young as 11, cross-sex hormones at 16, and sex reassignment surgery at 18. These are just a few examples of the ways in which HR 5, or the Equality Act, would empower the federal government to punish citizens and medical professionals who disagree with sexual orientation and gender identity ideology. As a parent or a doctor, shouldn't you be able to make choices according to your child or patient's best interest? That's not how it would work under the Equality Act. We all agree that no one should be discriminated against simply because they're gay or transgender. 
and every person should have the dignity and respect of their fellow citizens and the law. But unfortunately, that's not happening. And examples in which others' rights are being violated are underreported. Here are a few more. In Georgia, Pasha Thomas was forced to remove her five-year-old daughter from a school after a male classmate assaulted her in the girls' restroom. In an Alaskan homeless shelter for women who have already experienced domestic violence, sex trafficking, and sexual assault, and are afraid of biological men being allowed in their private spaces, a biological male tried to forcefully gain access to the city's downtown Hope Center. The individual has now sued the center for alleged gender identity discrimination. And in Philadelphia, just days after the city put out an urgent call for 300 additional families to foster children, the city halted child placements by Catholic Social Services because of the organization's belief that children deserve both a mother and a father. These examples are just the tip of the iceberg. A federal sexual orientation and gender identity law would empower the government to interfere in how Americans live their lives every day. And any bill promoting such authoritarianism is a danger to our freedoms. That is some of what is happening right at the moment. The current administration, which is a democratically, which is a Democrat-driven administration, is very much in support of this. If The point of everything is this. That is not God's design for what the future is. My concern with the democratic platform is this. The intention is to move away from traditional values, to move away from natural law, and to move away from God's involvement in things, and to move to a place where we believe that we are more illuminated and we live from a space of higher education. Basically, the whole idea behind it is that we don't want the foundation of our country anymore to be driven by biblical principles, but what we believe is it, we want it to be driven by educated people. The whole premise behind the idea of inclusivity is one that says, that was come, came about through educated people who sat and said, we have a better way of understanding how humanity should be. And so what we want to do is we want to create a space, an environment that is accepting and affirming of every single person. The challenge with it is, what ends up happening is when you have complementary relationships like husband and wife, what it means is those relationships have to go. Because in the modern context, not everybody can live up to those complementary standards. So anything that creates a situation that is not all-embracing has to go. Our definition of um, uh, our identity genetically has to go. Because we can't have males and females anymore because it's not all embracing. Our definition of what it means to be a mother and a father has to go. Family values have to go. In fact, the whole concept of family really has to go. Why? Because we don't believe in marriage and family anymore. We've replaced it by an idea called love. Love. See, love is all-embracing. And so love becomes very subjective. And as a subjective measure, it means that you can, do, you can love whatever you want without anybody turning around and saying, well, that's just the problem. The problem with it is, is that love is based on feelings and it's not based on value. God's love is based on value. God says, I understand who I created you to be. I will love you no matter what choices you make. But I, can, I, I want you to understand that the full expression of that love comes through when you step into that identity of who I've called you to be. The challenge with it is, it's changing the fundamentals of all of society and what it looks like. There is a place for us to do something. I'm not talking about being silly people who go out and be ridiculous things. 
in the context of what I'm speaking about, one thing that I will always do is honor your right to choose how you want to live your life. God gave that to you. And should I tell you, he'll let you do that as well. You can live your life any way that you choose. That's not a problem. That's your choice. The challenge comes when we want to start affecting and changing the core values and the drivers of society. When we start having a look at the social fabric, when we start having a look at the moral fiber, when we start having a look at the culture that we find ourselves in, when it starts permeating that and it starts resonating with what intellectuals believe it should look like as opposed to God's law, there is a place to step forward in truth and sit and say, I hear what you're saying, but that's not right. So practically, what is it that we need to do? Number one, pray. The prayers of a righteous man avail much. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It all comes into play. Pray. Be aware of what you're praying for and be active in that. But I don't believe you just call to prayer. Secondly, I believe you called to open your mouth. Open your mouth. Say something. Should I tell you what part of the problem with it is? We have such a small, very, very liberal set, but they've got such a big mouth. And you know what the problem with it is? They're seeding every time they talk. Seeding, 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 seeding. The problem with it is I hear a whole bunch of noise here, but from this side, the silence is deafening. Where is the noise? We need to wake up a little bit and sit and say, no, there is a different way. There is a different alternative. I have something else to propose. I have a different way of going. I believe that fundamentally who we are and what we're all about is found in our identity. And to sit and scribble the identity of a whole bunch of people, a whole generation, entire nation, so we can be all inclusive is ultimately going to deliver bad results. What does it mean? How do you affirm the identity of a child when you sit and say, well, you're not going to be any gender? What do you affirm in that child? What characteristics? What value? The very core of who God created them to be. Our responsibility is to identify that and affirm that and pull it out of them. And that is much of it is grounded and rooted in your gender. We need to open our mouths. The problem with it is we talk about influence, but they have a supervisor meeting for the schools and the only people there are all the liberals. We sit in our churches and throw stones at the school system. We need to attend. What we need to do is we need a rally. So you find out, you know, you can't do it for the whole world. In fact, you can't even do it for the whole nation, but you can do it for your community. It starts somewhere. There is a place to sit and say, you know what? This is what the school is holding a hearing on. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to get everybody who lives in that county, everybody who has an interest, and we're all going in there to voice what it is that we believe. We have influence in space. We want people to hear what we have to say. Thirdly, engage. The stuff that I've just shown you right now, senators haven't voted on that yet could happen at any time. Pick up your phone and call them. Pick it up and sit and say, no, I don't want you voting for this. And I'm putting my, my, I'm putting my name down and I want you to count my vote as being not in favor of this. I believe that the church is changing and the church is waking up. I'm not talking about a, a, a silly church that's irresponsible. I'm talking about a church who knows who they are. I'm church, talking about a church who's grounded and rooted in the fact that we are kingdom citizens. I'm talking about a church that sets and says, you know what? God has called us with a purpose, not only to discover who I am, but to affect and influence the world in which I find myself. And the first place I'm going to start doing that is in my neighborhood. The first place I'm going to start doing that is in my local school, in what's going on around about me. There is a place for us to do that. Do it in a way that is right. Don't be disrespectful. Nobody wants to listen to a disrespectful person. doesn't matter who they are. There is a way that we can do it, but we can have influence. It's important. I want you to pray that we will start to have wisdom in going forward. Because I can tell you now that this is not going to turn around because a church does something. 
This doesn't turn around because there are a number of churches around the country saying something. This, church, this, this starts to have impetus when the body starts to wake up. I don't care if you're Catholic. I don't care if you're Protestant. I don't care if you're Baptist. I don't care who you are. I'm looking for people to stand up and sit and say, let's come together. If you don't believe in prosperity, and I do, so what? I don't care. Maybe I'll be prosperous and you won't. I don't know. It doesn't matter. What I'm saying is what matters most important is, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that he came to set us free? Do you believe that he came to introduce us to a relationship with him? Do you believe that we are a new creation in Christ? If you believe that, we have something in common. We can do something. Let's get the church together so that we can mobilize in our unity. As disparate forces, it's easy to do something. But when you have a coalition, that's substantial. When you bring the body together, that'll have impetus. When you bring the body together, all of a sudden politicians wake up a little bit because it's a big voting block. Don't be duped by stuff. Satan goes around as a roaring lion seeking who he may deceive. He doesn't come and sit and say, Would you like to die? All of us would say, no, thanks. What does he do? He comes around and he plays with your feelings and he plays with your thoughts and he invites you into something and he tempts you with the idea that, you know, if you're loving and feeling, you should embrace everybody. Otherwise, you're a person of hate. I'm not a person of hate. I'm a person of principle. I love everybody, but I'm going to stand on truth. Be careful. Because the world is full of things right at the moment that sound really good. But when you start to explore them a little more depth and you get below the surface and you see what's happening underneath here, it's repulsive. Bill, come and pray for us. You got one. For your love, for the freedom we, we have, and the blessings we have, and the ability to go to church and worship anytime, any place we want to. But Father, I just stand in agreement with Pastor Gavin, what he just said, that it's time for us to wake up and stand up and shout if necessary. And we recognize the dealings of the enemy. We recognize Satan for what he is. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And his job is to put us in fear and worry about everything. Father, I just thank you and praise you that the words that went out this morning will not only permeate each soul in here, but will go way beyond what was spoken in this room. And Father, things start with a seed. And I thank you for the seed of the word that was sown this morning. And Father, that we stand for the kingdom, we stand for truth, we stand for righteousness, and we stand with our Lord Jesus Christ, our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.